The Last Supper with Steph Sosa. Thanks for dropping by. Come and sus Steph's Life Spice. All her socials at spicysteph.com. Today I have Lindy on the phone. Lindy's a dietitian and nutritionist, the naked naturopath, and she's all about getting back to basics and not being on a diet. Sounds weird, right? A dietitian telling you not to be on a diet? And that is exactly why I love her. This is a quote from her website which really resonates with me. Swap cauliflower for carbs and you will lose 88% of the joy you get from food. What is not to love about that? Feeling hungry? Drool over Steph's recipes at spicystep.com. How are you? Are you good? So good. I think this is the best time of the year. My emails have tapered off. It's Mm. just going grey. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. I'm really good. Busy, but I love it like that. I get bored if I'm not busy. What about you? I do too. No, exactly. Exactly. I can't sit still for very long, but it gives me time to do other projects that I've been meaning to do. So that's my form of relaxation. I'm going to paint my table this afternoon and I can't wait. Paint your table? Mm. You know what? I've got this beautiful table. I love to take food photography outside and it's got beautiful lighting, but I always have to go and get these food photography boards out. So I'm going to paint it so that I can shoot recipes right on the table and Ah. it's exciting. Are you going to paint it white? Yes, and I'm going to do like some distressing and just get Mm. the texture, get the shadows, get the interest, make it fun, right? Yeah, (laughs) I love that because I quite often photograph on a wooden board and I've just lately been looking at all these beautiful white wood boards. I'm thinking, oh, I really need one of those. I love them. Yes, they're good. They're so good. Do you know the other thing I do though if you go to Bunnings, Bunnings has these white vinyl strips and they've got a really beautiful texture. They've got a distressed look yeah. um, and you just lay them out next to each other and you can stick them onto a piece of a board if you like. Yeah. And it's, it's a really cheap, easy way to get that look. I think it's like $20 for a pack. Ah, that's so um, good. And that's what a lot of I, – I, I see them because I've got them and I can see people have got them. That's a really good one. So is it flooring, is it? Yeah, it's, it's like white vinyl flooring. Mm, that's a brilliant idea. Okay, Bunnings is my next stop. Mm. You know, I, want to Bunnings. I know. It's one of my favourite shops, Bunnings and Harris Farm, my two favourite. Oh, and oh Kmart. Don't forget about Kmart because I love Kmart. <laughs> <laughs> they do so, yeah, exactly. I walk out poorer and happier. That's great. I know, and I always spend twice as much as I should. No, exactly. Every time. Nowadays it's better, but for $9, I'm buying that for sure. (laughs) Now, I have to tell you something because you've inspired me today. So I was, this morning, I was doing my homework for my podcast and I was researching everybody that I'm chatting to today. And I was reading your website and, I mean, I do, I had already done that before and I, I'm an avid Instagram follower of yours and I love the things that you write about body and body positivity and not being on a diet and all of those sorts of things. Like I just love that from a woman who is 46 that has been on her diet for 45 of those 46 years probably, in all honesty. It really resonates with me. But I bought this top that I've got on right now about two years ago and I just love it and I've never worn it because... When I put it on with a pair of shorts or a pair of pants or something, it shows the tiniest little bit of my stomach. Like I'm talking about a triangle yeah, yeah, yeah. that is about an inch by an inch, right? Mm. Because it comes down it comes down like sort of mid-thigh, um, but it just sort of pulls apart just above my belly button and down. 
And so I've never worn it because I've just, you know, like I'm not a, a skinny waif by any stretch of the imagination and I've always thought oh, I can't do that because it shows my flesh. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to do that today because I can and I don't care what other people think. So there you go, that's your influence on me today. Uh, you know, shit, shit, yes, because, yes, that's amazing. That's, um, so thank you for telling me that because I think for me to hear that kind of thing that you're going out there and doing this and just, you know what, no one's life is, everyone's life's going to be fine for it. So I think you have this idea that it's this big deal. No one's going to flinch. No one's no, going to even notice. No one even notices. No one even cares. I'm the only Fabulous. person in this world that cares about that tiny yeah. little triangle of stomach that I'm showing. Who cares? I love There's yeah. this thing I remember saying that I love, and it's, it's this idea of you can see the world from two perspectives. The one is, oh, no one cares. Yeah. And then the other one is, no one cares. It's brilliant that no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> so what a relief. Yeah, I know. It's good, isn't it? So someone cares about what you write, and then they, they don't care because of that reason. So that's actually a really good back-to-front message for today. So great. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Grab a wine and DM Steph. She'd love to hear what your last supper would be and what wine you're drinking. Lily, I know a bit about you, but some of my listeners might not know a bit about you. So can you just yeah. tell me a little about what it is that you do? So I am a nutritionist. I'm a dietitian. What do I do? I, I started off dieting at the age of, I'd say, six. By the time I was 11, I got a bit serious about it. I stole my mom's calorie counter book. Yeah. And then from that point onwards, it was really just a really bad relationship with food where I was you know, obsessively weighing myself or over-exercising and under-eating and eventually there's like binge eating. Yeah. Which would mean that I would just hide in the pantry and just eat more than is really quite possible. Yeah. Um, and I did this in private and no one would be able to see me doing it. And I thought it was really shameful and... The more I felt embarrassed and ashamed, the less likely I was to talk about it. So by the time I got to be 21, I'd seen four nutritionists who were trying to help me with this so-called weight problem that I had. Yeah. And the more obsessed about food I was, the more weight I ended up gaining. So I reached this breaking point where I thought, well, I've been dieting you know, for the last decade and I'm heavier than I've ever been. Yeah. So what would happen if I should just stop dieting? And so was that a conscious thing for you to go, I'm just not doing it anymore? Yeah, it was It was conscious, but only because there was a breaking point there. I okay. was like, end of tether, really low point of my life, I'd say. Bit of a light bulb moment where I just thought, this can't be it. This can't be the way it works. I've, yeah. you know, I've, I've seen people around me who would push away half their plate because they felt full and they just realized I didn't need to eat anymore. And I wanted to be like that, yeah. but I've never been like that. And not yeah. since I was, you know, before the calorie counts of stealing days. Yeah. So onward, this was, what, nine years ago now that this happened. So since then, I've been working out, had a find real health. That I ended up losing 20 kilograms. Wow. Stopped binge eating after this process of stopping dieting. And now it's what I do. I help people who are chronic dieters, who are constantly you know, weighing up whether or not a food is good or bad and feeling guilty for overeating and then waking up the next day and trying to be good and then ending up in the exact same cycle each and every day. That's the people I help because I've been there. I know that doesn't work and I just like to provide a different option for them. To me, that seems the exact opposite of what a dietitian and a nutritionist 
would do for me. <laughs> oh, that's, the, that's the kind of person I like to be, you know, um, send me away from the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think um, I'm not really think about nutritionist dietitian. I'm probably not the kind that you think about. Yeah. But there is a growing movement in the health space of people who think like me, who realize that what someone looks like has got nothing to do with how healthy they really are. Yeah. And I think when we look at these women in fitness magazines, what we don't see, apart from you know, the Photoshop and the makeup and the lighting and all that jazz, what we don't see is so often the restriction needed in order to attain that so-called healthy body ideal. Yeah. That for most people would be a very underweight kind of body. For most people it's even unrealistic because of just the way that their body is shaped. So I think we've got a, I, my job, I think, is to try and challenge how we see people. What, what does this healthy body look like? You know, for me, I'm, I'm never going to have a flat stomach. I'm always going to have cellulite. That's just the way my body is. But I'm yeah. strong and, and I'm, like, I have so much energy and I'm happy. And yeah. this is health. And I don't believe we should give up 95% of our life to weigh 5%. Yeah, that's so true. That is so true because that's exactly what you do when you diet, isn't it? It's like die it. It's like why do you want to feel like you want to die just to lose the tiniest little bit of weight? Look, and I understand there are people that are morbidly obese. I, I, I hate even saying that word because I just, I, it, to me, it's an ugly word. And I don't feel like, I don't know, I just, I feel like people aren't ugly when they are overweight. And I just feel like there's a real connotation with that, with those words. No. Beyond that, I think we have this idea that someone who's overweight is less healthy than someone who's underweight. Yeah. But that's not the case. So what we find is that people who are, you know, very low on the BMI, they're more likely to die than someone who's overweight or even obese. Isn't that um, interesting? So I think we, you know, we're, we're idealizing this thing. You know, not, nowadays you're getting more like plus-size mannequins. And people are getting so angry about it as though it promotes obesity or promotes ill health. But we've had these underweight mannequins for so many years and no one got angry about it. No one yeah. really cares about health. They're just scared of, of change. So we think, you know, anytime you're being more inclusive and you're allowing people more sizes to be able to purchase things like active wear that actually fits them, yeah. then it's a good thing. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's, that's how we roll. Health is something that everyone at any size deserves to be able to pursue. Yeah. Just recently I've joined a new gym. It's a cycle gym. And one of my instructors looks like me. And it, honestly, I could not be happier <laughs> because it's a normal person. It's not like a stick-thin person. And there's nothing wrong if you're naturally stick-thin, then that's, that's awesome too. There's nothing wrong with that. But I can't relate to that. So to have mm. someone that looks like me, that is, oh, my goodness, this woman is so fit. It's ridiculous how much she can do more than me. And I just, for me, I can really relate to her and I feel like, oh, you know what? I can be healthy too. That's what it I It gives you like. health goals other than weight loss. It's yeah. this like thing that's always been held up as the ultimate. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of pressure on nutritionists, dietitians, and personal trainers to look like this, to fit into this thin ideal. But I think it's really important that, as you say, we're seeing healthy people of different sizes to help change these and be more inclusive. And, absolutely. Yeah. I'm really interested to hear your opinion on the BMI. Well, the BMI, I've got to understand what it is. It was a system 
developed by one scientist who kind of looked at population data and he wanted to kind of create a way of broadly categorizing people. Yeah. But it's a very arbitrary number. So he, he decided that the cutoff for the healthy BMI should be 25 because it was an easier number to remember. This, I think we think that this BMI is um, going to tell us something about a person's health, but it doesn't tell us anything. What we need to be looking at is things like you know, your cholesterol levels, your anxiety, how's your quality of sleep, getting some blood tests done, looking at your blood, do you have enough iron, how your bowel motions. There are just so many variables that uh-huh. are so important when it comes to health. And BMI is the least important, in my opinion. Because I've met people who are overweight, by the BMI standard, who aren't much healthier than someone who looks thin, that eats takeaway food all the time, who doesn't exercise, who smokes and parties on the weekend. So that's just the honest truth about the BMI. I think it's outdated. I can't believe people still use it. Um, It should only ever be used for population-wide data, and I don't think we should be reducing ourselves down to that number. You want to feel good, adopt healthy habits, don't try to lose weight, and then just let your body do what it needs to do. And who knows what's going to happen to your weight? And I think your body knows. It's got a sweet spot. It's got a yeah. spot where it feels comfortable. Your body has your back and it wants you to be able to tell the weight. When we're constantly trying to control it and manipulate it and what all of that happens is we become obsessed with food. It takes up all of our bandwidth. And when you can't stop thinking about something, that's when it becomes even harder. So focus on health and then get on with your life. Yeah. Make your life so much bigger than what you eat and how much you move. I mean, exercise and nutrition makes make your life better, not control it. I agree completely. Yeah. And I think I, my son has recently, uh, he's about to join the army and they still use the BMI index of something that they have to be a certain BMI in order to be in the army. And my son is really short. Like, I'm talking short, right, for a 22-year-old male. But he is really muscly and he's really fit and he's really healthy. Like, for for a 22-year-old boy, he – or man, I guess I should say – he eats so well compared to, you know, I, I would say, a lot of other 22-year-old boys that live on their own. And yet he's judged by this BMI and it just – honestly, it's so frustrating mm. to see it happen. Mm. Very, very frustrating. <laughs> That's a perfect example of how updated it is. Yeah, but um, unfortunately big organisations take a long time to change and to adopt, don't they? <laughs> sure. So exactly. frustrating. Is this a five-headed iTunes podcast? If so, leave a review. If not, fuck you. I read something on your website and I said it in your introduction was 20 minutes of exercise is better than an hour at the gym that you're never going to do and I just love that. How many people say they're going to go to the gym and never get there? (laughs) Yes, because who has time? Who has an hour to dedicate? And, you know, it sounds scary when you make it sound like such a big chunk of time. I think when it comes to health, we have this idea that it has to look perfect. We have to hit these massive goals. Um, But really, these small little things that we do, they really add up to something big. And I think what we need to do to get healthy is just let go of this idea of, perfection and just get like a little bit of progress so people are asking what's the dif- what difference would it make if I just went for a 10 minute walk what difference would it make if I just went to bed half an hour later yeah. well every single day these things they compound they add up to something really significant yeah. to you know your mental health being better and then think about the on-floor effects of how that 
how, what happens there? When you're feeling good, when you're feeling happy, when you're well slept, you have energy. What do you do? You exercise more. You are less likely to get those, you know, crazy cravings in the afternoon. Yeah. Do you think what difference does it make? It does. It's, like, you know, it's kind of like the butterfly effect. And my advice, you know, it's coming up to me at the moment. I think we create these resolutions that don't stick because they're too lofty and too big. Just tiny oh, little so changes. True. It's a bit like the ultimate Monday, isn't it, New Oh, yes. Isn't it the ultimate Monday? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So let's not do that to ourselves. Um, just start before New Year's like, Eve for a start. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and have to wait for New Year's to start. Yeah. I've recently read this book called Atomic Habits. Have you heard of it? Oh, I haven't read it yet. James Clear, I think. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, it has actually really resonated with me because he actually talks very similar to you in that it's about the little things that create the bigger things so it's about in particular there's all these different things that he can do but one thing that really resonated with me it's like it's not the going to the gym or going for the run or going for the walk that's not the habit you're trying to achieve if you think about the habit you're trying to achieve is when you get up in the morning if your goal is to get up in the morning and go for a walk or get up in the morning and go to the gym or get up in the morning and go for a run or whatever Start with getting up in the morning and putting your joggers on Mm. and going for a five-minute walk or a five-minute run or go to the gym for ten minutes. Don't aim Mm, for the sky, you know, just do a little bit at the time. Or, you know, if your goal is to eat healthy, don't throw everything out in your pantry and in your fridge and go and buy everything and then not eat any of it (laughs) and eat takeaway for a week. Just add maybe one or two vegetables that you've not eaten before into your diet and see how you go or create one new recipe or do one new thing and try and do that every week for a month, for example, and then see how you go. That's exactly it. Just, I think he calls it habit stacking. Yes. You know, it's kind of like you're building blocks and you start building one upon the other and the other until one day you look around and you realise that, hey, you've got this really healthy lifestyle yes. um, and it didn't happen overnight. Absolutely. And it's something that you can sustain because it's, You've built it into your lifestyle rather than than yeah. just creating this thing that's going to go for maybe 14 days. And it doesn't take 21 days to change your habit. It's no, a lifetime. It yeah, it's a <laughs> lifetime really, isn't it? I used to have I think this that's a really great point. Yeah, sorry. I think going. at the moment there's so much diet noise around. So I know that people often ask me, what do you think about intermittent fasting? What do you think about the keto diet? Yeah, and so forth and so forth. And my answer is always the same. Every diet works until it doesn't work, until yeah. you realize that you don't want to cut out carbs or you don't want to fast periodically for the rest of your life, yeah. and then you regain the weight. So whatever diet it is, that's cool if you want to do it. But just you have to be able to say to yourself, I can do this for the rest of my life, because unless you can literally do it for the rest of your life, whatever weight loss you get, whatever health benefits you gain, you will simply slip back into old habits, and most often, people regain the weight they regain more than Absolutely. they originally were. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, it's got to be sustainable. Yeah, I agree. Like it takes a certain amount of maturity to get to that mindset as well. Like I think the older you get, the easier those concepts are to, to grasp and to stick to. But if we could get that into people's heads, I guess now with people my age and then we're transferring that onto our younger people because 
we don't want to tell our, you know, 10, 11-year-old girls that they need to go on a diet or they're a bit overweight or whatever because that's not going to be helpful. We need to teach them how to just be healthy. Yeah, we do. And, you know, it's so interesting you say that. I wrote this post earlier, maybe last week, where you found that parents who comment on their teenager's weight, the kids are 66% more likely to be overweight. Did you say 66% more? 66 percent more likely. So if you take like healthy weighted kids and other another group of healthy weighted kids, commenting is going to make them gain more weight. And I think as parents, they think they're trying to help. Um, And you know what we've been doing for many many generations? It's just been passing down the exact same advice. So if your mum told you, "Oh, you've got to you know pull in your tummy, or you shouldn't be eating that, or um, you need to lose weight," we think that that's the way we should be doing it from now on. But actually, this is really unhealthy. It's the same with the idea of you have to finish everything on your plate. Yeah. You know, this, this idea of, of rewarding kids with food, you know, if you're good, I'll give you this food. Yeah. What we need to do is food is food. We eat food to feel good. There are sometimes foods, you know, like party food that we yeah. eat sometimes, but we don't eat them every day. And then there are everyday foods. Yeah. And I think even just stepping away from that idea of labeling food as good or bad yeah. is something everyone can do. And it's so simple to just swap that bad sometimes food yeah, and good for everyday food oh, it's an easy way yeah I, I agree and I think I feel like I have two generations of children so I have my older children which are 24 22 and 19 and then I have my Noah who's 11 so we had a big break in the middle I feel like I have two generations and I can mm-hmm. actually see with my three eldest my food attitude in each of them and it was different wow. with each of them I can I can see it in them and it breaks my heart and then I can see Noah, who I was older and a bit wiser and more educated, I guess you would say, and he has such a healthy attitude towards food. Like we went out for dinner last night and it was a celebration dinner for him and he wanted fried chicken and burgers. That's fine, we're going to go and do that. And then we were going to go to Gelato because there was a gelato place just across the road and we're heading towards a gelato place and he goes, oh, you know what, Mama? My body's telling me I don't need gelato tonight. You know, and I just think, yeah, I know. It's just him listening to his body. And they were his words, my body's telling me. And I, honestly, it makes me so incredibly happy to hear him speak like that. That's because divine. he's, cause he's yeah. respecting his body and he's listening to what it's telling him. And it just, it's amazing. And, and how simple that is, how easy that is to just, you know, you have this inbuilt system to help you manage your weight and keep you healthy yeah, and he just he just gets it yeah exactly and like I said, he knows that next time we go to wherever there is where there's gelato or ice cream like he can have one it's okay but he can also mm. listen to his body because he knows that it's not a forbidden food and it's not bad and it's not evil and he's only going to get it once in his lifetime do you know what i mean like it's just a different attitude yeah, i think there's this really interesting idea called sensory specific satiety it's kind of that thing, you know, when you finish your main meal, like lunch or dinner, and you're like, ooh, I'd really like something sweet. And, and that's really because your body feels like it would like a different kind of flavor. And what happens is when we eat a certain food, we end up getting bored of the food. You know, like it becomes normal. Like you eat a whole plate of macaroni and cheese, and eventually you'll get kind of bored of macaroni and cheese. Yeah. So what we end up doing when we become dieters is we create this list of forbidden foods. 
the food becomes ultimately so much more compelling and interesting. And yeah. because we don't get to eat it, it gets this like, you know, unicorn kind of vibe. It's enticing. It's like amazing. Yeah. And so anytime you eat it, it always feels forbidden and bad. You never get the satisfaction. Mm, um, interesting. And you keep craving it. And it's not even just avoiding it. Even thinking about avoiding it makes it more appealing. So you get more, so, you know, more a lot of people, they're like. It. Yeah, it's like I, they're like, well, I haven't actually cut it out, but I, you know, want to eat it all the time. Well, there's like some kind of mental barrier in their mind that says you're not really allowed. So it's like until we really give ourselves permission, like your son, who is just intuitively like, yes, he knows he can have gelato any kind he wants. It's a food that, that's there for him, and as such, he doesn't lose control over it. He feels cool, calm, collected with it. And I think until you have that trust with your body, until your body trusts that you're going to feed it. When it, what it wants when it needs it, yeah. you still kind of struggle with food. So I think that yeah, that's why giving yourself to eat the things that you really need and want is really good. Yeah, and you become bored with them and then you crave vegetables. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think that something that I've learned on my little MasterChef journey is a salty, sweet, sour, spicy combination. And I find mm. that I feel more satisfied with my meal if I have ticked those boxes which is really interesting for me like you're saying about you know when you're depriving yourself of something you you're craving something so for me if I've ticked those boxes in my meal so even if it's just like a squeeze of lemon over the top of my fish or whatever it is that I'm eating just to get that sourness or something a little bit spicy and something a little bit salty I feel like I've had this complete meal yeah I'm not getting those cravings perfect yeah, and for me, my flavor is sweet. It's very much a sweet tooth. Yeah, um, I'm also South African, and one of the things that I find really great about a South African kind of way of eating is they do include a pop of sweetness in pretty much a lot of the food. Okay. So an example would be something like apricot chicken, yeah. um, or any salad. You either got a really sweet dressing on it, or maybe you've got some strawberries or some pomegranate, or there's, mm. there's always some kind of hint of sweetness. So you're getting you that satisfaction. satisfaction. Exactly. So even like candied nuts, you might think, mm. oh, candied nuts aren't very healthy for you. But you're eating them in a the salad. They're helping you eat salad. And after you finish the meal, you don't crave anything sweet anymore. Yeah, it's really so interesting, isn't I it? I think this idea of perfect eating has got to go out the window. Yeah. You know, like remember when we used to tell people, people used to talk about putting your salad dressing on the side? Yeah. Like Oh my, how, what a depressing salad yeah, that was. Yeah, exactly. How awful. If you want to stop eating salad and never touch a vegetable again, then ask the salad dressing on the side. Yeah. But if you want to eat lots of veggies and enjoy it, then make the tastiest salads yeah, and vegetables you can. Absolutely. Put a bit Add of butter on or something. Yeah, exactly. Put a bit yeah, of and cheese so or something. Yeah, fattiness actually helps you absorb vitamins A, C, E, and K. So without a fatty element in your salad, your body just does not do those nutrients and they pass through. So, you know. I, I think boring vegetables are done and it's going to have fun with our food. Yeah, and I love this movement at the moment that's heading towards a plant-based, increasing your plant-based diet, yeah. not forbidding the meat because I really, I love meat, but I love the fact that I'm eating more and more plant-based meals by choice not because I feel like I'm starving myself of meat but just because it's delicious and I'm learning more about vegetables and how to cook them in a delicious way mm, so true and also to eat less meat you really need to give yourself permission to eat things like whole grains yeah and if you're an old school dieter 
like a, a Nike related. Yeah. So it was a carb phobic era that we're still yes. kind of only coming out of now. No carbs, no fat. So, yeah, no exactly. Fun. No carbs, no fat, and no sugar. My goodness, everything's uh, been cut up. But yeah. anyway, to cut, eat less meat, and I think it's fabulous, we do need to add in more of those whole grains. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so that's also to have more carbohydrates. But also, this blows my mind that only 5% of Australian adults eat enough fruit and vegetables. Wow. And yet, we're always thinking that there is some magical solution to our diet problems. It's not complicated. Just you just got to eat more plants. And, and it's and a lot. It's five to ten a day. That's, um, and a service size is up to Yeah. So it's more of an odd linky kind of style of eating, right? Like you're stuffing in those vegetables. Yeah. The veggie is the center or the whole grain is the center of the diet. And then the meat is, you know, the secondary. Which is, yeah. I think many people, when they go to the grocery shops, they first try to find the protein. So, oh, I'm going to have chicken. Yeah. Now, what am I going to make with the chicken? So, if you flip that and you're like, all right, well, I'm going to make some eggplant. Yeah. How am I going to do the eggplant? And then I think that's a much more plant-centric way of thinking about your planet. Yeah, just flipping it on its head. It's interesting because I just interviewed um, my egg lady and we were talking about flipping eggs on its head and thinking the egg as the main component of the meal and if we think of it like that then we're happy to pay a little bit extra you know we're happy to pay six or seven dollars a dozen rather than three or four and then we're going to get a more ethical egg it's just changing our thinking exactly that's exactly right yeah Yeah. we can do that for vegetables okay so it's eggs and vegetables now right we've got it (laughs) (laughs) if you like the service tip us with a review on itunes it's free you tight ass before we run out of time, I need to talk to you about your last supper. So tomorrow is your last day on earth and you get lunch. What are you going to eat? You know what? I I love asking this question, especially when I'm in a room with lots of students. So I love that because you look at the it's podcast It's so good, idea. isn't it? I know. I love it's hearing what – and it's it's amazing the themes that you find. And you're South African, so I'll be really interested to hear what, what comes out. Well, okay. So I think I would, I would actually go for a – non-South African meal, but it would be a homemade pasta with like a ragu or even something just veggie-based. I don't mind. I just love pasta. And a glass of, I guess, South African-Australian because they're very similar tasting wine, like full-bodied red. We just sit down, I enjoy that, and I'd be be good. And if I had dessert, if you allowed me dessert. Of course, it's your last supper. You can have a chocolate mousse. Mm, Like... Not fluffy. No, nothing fluffy about it. I want like dense. Mm, <laughs> like, yeah. like, like my favorite food is chocolate with chocolate with some melted chocolate on top, sprinkled with chocolate. <laughs> so <laughs> in light of that, my own heart. <laughs> you know it. So, but I mean, that's kind of what it would be. But I, I think that's I, the question I've asked. One nutritionist told me the other day that her last supper would be oysters and salt and vinegar chips. Oh, and I asked wow. her together. Do you crumb the, the, you know, the chips into the oysters? She said, no, they're separate, but the combination works. And I just, just thought that was a really cool answer as well. You know what? I actually can see that working because texturally I think it would work. And also I think that salt and vinegar with – it's like a vinaigrette, isn't it? I think it'd be really fun. I so think I'm going to have to that try that. With a, yeah, with a glass of like dry white. Oh, that sounds <laughs> fabulous. I think that sounds yeah. absolutely perfect. <laughs> Oh, Sunday Lindy. lunch sorted. Yeah, absolutely. Done. Lindy, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. And I, I absolutely love what you do and your 
attitude to food and to body image and I think it's really inspiring so keep doing you girl thank you Steph so good to be on the show thank you grab a wine and DM Steph she'd love to hear what your last supper would be and what wine you're drinking 